0: Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com, where Inside Carolina members get 10% off their everyday online orders. Get ready for another edition of Inside Carolina Radio. And I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes. And Carolina football season, two weeks away, or football camp, Greg, opens in two weeks. You are at ACC Media Day in Charlotte. Uh, you'll be at all the functions leading into the season, but... Your biggest question that you have for this team going into preseason camp?
1: That's a great question, Tom. I mean, I think it's got to be just kind of in general the, the offense. Um, we, can, we can talk a lot about the quarterback position, and Larry Fedora can downplay it as much as he wants. Uh, but I think everybody knows that Brandon Harris was, was brought in uh, as a guy that has the potential to step in right away. The three guys that competed for the job in the spring all have a lot of potential. But the fact that they are so young, uh, kind of the belief is that they're not quite ready. And, you know, when you lose Caleb Henderson and when Anthony Ratliff-Williams is a guy that, that has to kind of move positions, you lose a couple years of, of recruiting uh, at the quarterback position there. And so they needed a stopgap, and Harris should be able to fill that role uh, the question is, however, not only at quarterback, but you—I mean, what do you have at running back? Uh, not a lot that we know of. And then at wide receiver, we know Austin Pro, know a little bit about Thomas Jackson, Jordan Cunningham, uh, Javal Millett, some of those guys. But we have not seen a, a ton of production out of those guys for obvious reasons. They're replacing some pretty big names. And then offensive line-wise, the numbers look good. Uh, talent-wise, looks good. But Chris Kapilvic has got to mold everybody together, a lot of new faces, uh, a lot of moving pieces there that have to be ironed out. And like Larry Fedora said at ACC Media Day, uh, tight end is really about the only position on the offensive side of the ball uh, that he feels confident in and feels good about right now because he knows the pieces in place right there.
0: I saw where Brandon Harris was a preseason watch list candidate, which is interesting and we've talked about him a little bit on our WCHL Inside Carolina segments and for our listeners here Greg and I do a little two-minute segment per day for WCHL and it's on their archive web page that you can certainly listen to those to get your little mini podcast fix but we've talked about Harris and yes he's expected to step in But as somebody was talking about on the message board, Larry Fedora seems to have a new quarterback every year he's a coach, whether it's offensive coordinator. Harris is going to be different, um, probably more Marquise than Mitch. Your take on that transition, I mean, if he were here in the spring, I would think that, uh, you know, there would be more confidence maybe that he could just slide right in. Your take on that, I know Fedora had some comments about what he expects out of Harris uh, last Friday in Charlotte.
1: Yeah, well, well, first of all, talking about you know, the the first year quarterback deal, um, that, that's that's an interesting stat. But when you actually look at some of the guys that were listed, I mean, Marquise Williams, yes, he was a first year true starter in 2014, but he started the second half of the year in 2013. Bren Renner, while he was a first year quarterback in Fedora system, uh, he engineered one of the best offenses in UNC history before the Fedora era. In 2011, you know, Mitch Trubisky got plenty of playing time. We we knew what he was going to be. Uh, probably didn't know he was going to be that good that quick. Uh, but yeah, I'm not sure I would necessarily say he was a first-year quarterback uh, and then he, then he back to you know, Chris League of Florida. Um, so there are some unique situations like that. But in terms of a kid, I mean, he has not practiced with the team yet. Uh, Larry Fedora had been – on vacation for, for most of the early part of July uh, and has not actually seen Brandon Harris practice and throw the ball and those types of things. So uh, it really is kind of a, a starting fresh deal, and they don't have many, many opportunities to, to work on stuff. You know, Larry Fedor said at uh, ACC kickoff that UNC was not going to get in their 29 allotted practices because he didn't want to have to start practice in July. And so uh, it is going to be a unique challenge, and the fact that this is a new offense. Now, granted, Brandon Harris is a guy that uh, athletically should fit what Fedora wants to do. That's why they recruited him out of high school. Uh, but still, there's there's a lot of learning curve, and you know some of it uh, was hyperbole, you know, which is Fedora and all coaches do. ACC kickoff saying, you know what? What I want Brandon Harris to be able to do is actually know the playbook. You know, first of, of anything, I don't care how good he can pass the ball, he's going to know what we want to do before we can even talk about him competing for a job. Well, that's going to happen. That's, that's, that's not an issue. But there's truth in that. I mean, they've actually got to watch him go through practice, make the right reads, make the right play calls, all these different things before they say, okay, this guy has shown us enough that now he's ready to really enter the mix because as young as those other three guys are, uh, they've practiced enough. They know the system. They just don't have the experience that, that Harris has in, in big game situations.
0: You mentioned uh, Caleb Peterson earlier. You misspoke, actually, Caleb Henderson. Of course, everybody listening probably caught it, knows what you meant. But that leaves, and he's gone on to Maryland and probably be their starter or at least play a lot up there. Elliot, Bird, and Chaz Surratt, your take on their development, I mean – Harris is sort of a, a must get, and they got him, and he's going to play a lot. But if not Harris, which other guy do you think really steps in? I know the hype surrounding Surratt. I know the, the comfort maybe with Elliott. The other guy we haven't heard a lot about. So, your take on who may slide into that backup role? Because, as Buck Sanders always says, for some reason, the backup quarterback's my favorite player on the team <laughs> um, shout out hat tip to buck on that but this year that may be a little different your take
1: yeah and uh you know i don't think you're alone in that Tom. i think a lot of people are always looking to the to the backup in case things go wrong uh but in terms of kind of how it was laid out to me after spring ball you know, nathan elliott probably is a short-term solution if it comes to that while chas rat in terms of potential Uh, is kind of the long-term guy and a guy that who just has immense athleticism. Um, And if he can really kind of iron out the the passing uh, situation, he'll he'll be a great quarterback. You know, Marquise Williams, for example, had some issues throwing the ball early in his career and had some people around the program kind of questioning whether he could actually improve enough uh, to be a legitimate quarterback. And, of course, we know how that turned out. Um, And so – I think with with Chaz uh, he's the guy that they're going to continue to work on and expect him to kind of assume that role, but then you mentioned you know, Logan Bird, I mean, he's a big physical kid, got a, probably the biggest arm of three, uh, so he's also a potential one and in talking with Fedora, I was asking him about you know not really knowing who the guy was coming into camp, and kind of the point he made uh, kind of beyond Brandon Harris is like, look, you know, all these guys were in camp last year. We recruited them to this system because they played in high school in similar types of offensive systems. They went through spring ball. They all split reps. All have a ton of reps under the belt. So, in terms of knowing what UNC wants them to do, they've got it. Um, now, there's a big step from that part of it to taking it to the field against you know a live defense and, and uh, doing well. But that's the most critical part of the the juncture and i'll say this tommy um some people have already started talking about this there's a good thread on the message board uh earlier this week but just saying that you know if things go well for north carolina this year you know maybe you know even if they only win seven games maybe eight games that should be seen as a really good year because you get so many guys back in 2018 and so if that's the case and you have all these returning guys on defense, and all of, the, all of a sudden you've got a lot more experience on offense, even though you lose some of them on the offensive line. If you've got a quarterback that has seen a lot of action, even if Brandon Hare starts, if so, whoever's the backup gets a lot of playing time this year, then maybe it's a situation like 2016 where although Mitch had never started, He's had enough playing experience that he can step in and people say, okay, we've seen what he's done. Uh, there's not going to be that big of a you know, transition issue. He can step in and lead this team to a lot of victories. So I think that component will be very interesting to watch. is you know, How much do they rely on Brandon Harris, provided he is the guy, and then how quickly is a number two established, uh, and then you know how much actual playing time that person will get throughout the course of the year.
0: Yeah, that that is definitely a, a thing I watch throughout, especially early. Is you know, I don't last year they didn't really get a backup that much work, in contrast with how Trubisky was used the year before, uh, and it paid off for Fedora. We'll see what he does. I think you're right, though. I think whatever, whoever the backup is, is going to play a lot and needs to because in 2018, like you mentioned, you'll have all these positions with a ton of skill. A ton of experience that could be the year um, so let's talk about more of the skill positions and we'll start in, in the offensive backfield behind the quarterback I mean I would think Stanton Truitt's the guy Jordan Brown um, maybe one of the freshmen your take on a breakout player there because I think Carolina no matter how good the quarterback is I think Carolina has to have a running back or two that are difference makers or at least borderline difference makers to really make the offense go.
1: Well, the guy in the spring that we saw that was definitely your playmaker potential is Michael Carter. Um, yes, he's a little bit smaller, at five nine. I think he's listed at one ninety five, uh, but he has an, a very quick burst. Uh, can Can shift laterally very well, um, and is just kind of a a smallish back. Uh, some similarities to to Geo, I guess you would say. Um, but really a guy that when you watch the team practice, he was the guy that stood out, right? And that's kind of what you look for. It's hard to gauge when the offense is playing against the defense. Uh, you don't know, well, did the offense do well or did the defense really not do well at all? But what you're looking for is guys that actually stand out from the crowd. And we saw that with Elijah Hood from the get-go. Uh, you knew that guy was going to be a force. You knew it with Mitch Trubisky, the way that he was throwing the ball uh, you know, he's making passes the other guys couldn't make and so a, a lot of things like that But Carter's the guy that really stood out I'm curious to see Antoine Branch just because he's so much bigger than everybody else. He's, he's 225 six foot um, Not that fedora really likes the kind of big lumbering guys uh, But he is a bigger guy. Maybe they can use him in short yardage situations And really as kind of a banger if they decide to get physical uh, and then you know, Stanton true. We'll have to see I Didn't play a whole lot at Auburn, um, so you know, maybe just because of his experience, he can step in and, and really help out early. But I would expect the two freshmen to get a ton of playing time, and then of course, Jordan Brown proved last year that he's he's capable of, of of carrying the rock as well.
0: Out in the receiver position, you mentioned tight end, certainly a plenty of experience there. I just think these wide receivers. We've heard a lot about Javal McLaughlin, and I think that's one of Buck's guys, and. And Austin Prowl, of course. Who there, going into preseason camp, do you expect to maybe separate themselves? Because you know, Fedora always talks about, uh, you know, he doesn't name starters. It doesn't matter. Da da da. But somebody's got to walk out on the field, play one against Cal. Who do you think those guys might be going into camp? At least.
1: Well, I think going into camp, you've got to give the the edge to the older guys. Uh, Austin Prowl, of course. Uh, he'll be healthy. He was. He, he didn't practice much at all in spring ball, uh, but he's the guy that's going to be the leader of that position group. But then you've you, you've got other guys. You Jordan Cunningham's uh, been around a couple years after he transferred in. Thomas Jackson's a veteran now. Uh, and, you know Anthony Ratliff Williams has gotten some playing time. So I think from the get-go, those guys are going to be the ones that we're going to talk a lot about uh, being atop the depth chart. Now, what's going to be interesting is that there is a lot of talent at this position. You mentioned Millett. Roscoe Johnson really proved that he was a burner during uh, spring. And that's something that really hurt North Carolina last year is that once Mack Hollins went down, they didn't have that guy that could blow the top off of a defense. And so maybe Roscoe's a guy that can do that. But then, of course, you got some of the the freshmen, you know, Cawthon and uh, Bo Crowlis are guys that are long, big uh, wide receivers. That's what Fedora and Gunnar Brewer like. And so I think there's a lot of potential for movement uh, within the depth chart just because there's so many inexperienced guys, even though there are some veteran guys on that, that roster. Um, so I, I expect Austin Pro will be there from the first day of camp to the first day of that, that season opener against Cal. But whoever else is beside him, I, I think that could change uh, you know, quite a lot between now and, and not even the season opener, but as we get into uh, the, the heart of ACC play.
0: Good position to watch there going into the season. Uh, keeping on the offensive theme, let's just keep it that way for this show. Tight end. I mean, Brandon Fritz, Carl Tucker, ton of experience. Um, Fritz needs to stay healthy. Uh, Carolina's pretty much as loaded at, at this position as they can be, especially with the talent, the new talent on that will be on the field. Your take?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Jake Vargas is a guy that's played some. Uh, he's got a lot of good skill. He hasn't played a whole lot, but he has a little bit of experience. And then you, you've got you know, guys that we haven't really seen, and Noah Turner and Garrett Walston, who both came in you know, as, as highly recruited guys. So uh, as Fedora said at you know, the kickoff, he feels really good about that spot. And I think it's a position group where even if some of those wide receivers are kind of slow to come along, then what you will likely see is some more two tight end sets. And we've seen that in the past uh, where they've had enough guys with Ebron and Jack Tav, for example, they felt comfortable going with, with two tight ends. that gives you a lot of different options. And I think they have enough bodies, enough talented bodies at tight end to do that. You know, Fritz is really just kind of a glorified uh, wide receiver anyway. That's kind of what he is. And then you you got Carl Tucker, who's more of a kind of a true athlete at that position. Uh, can really you know, play attached if he needs to, but can do a lot of different things. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to see those two guys both on the field early, and then, as I mentioned, you got some, some talented younger guys that can work in. So, uh, that's really kind of a, a safety valve. And quarterbacks like tight ends anyway. Uh, so, I'm sure those guys are, are trying to get up you know, nice and close with Brandon Harris this offseason during 7-on-7. <laughs> seven seven. So, say, hey, look, you may not have experience at the wide receiver spot, but we have you covered here.
0: Absolutely. And Carolina's had some success at that position. Of course, Ebron being the biggest name of late offensive line. Now this is a position we talked about this on the CHL segments is the grad transfers I think are gonna make a difference, whether it's Cam Dillard or Khalil Rogers, but Bentley Spain's certainly the anchor. Hard to believe that, you know, he's finally a senior. He he has been there forever, it seems like, but he's the one getting all the recognition. This is an area I think Carolina could certainly ease Brandon Harris's um acclimation into Carolina's offense. Your take overall on the position?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. And the, the funny thing is, is it wasn't that long ago that that James Hurst was a true freshman playing, and uh, you know Bentley Spain comes in as this highly touted kid, and we're saying, "Hey Cap, is, is Spain anything like James Hurst, a kid that can step in and play as a true freshman?" And Cap's like, "Slow your roll, you know, we don't want to put that kind of expectations on anybody." And now, of course, Spain's a senior, so uh, just kind of a reminder that we're we're all getting old. As, as we follow this team. But, yeah, I think it's a very interesting position group. The fact that you go back to spring ball and Spain's playing left guard in the spring game. And that kind of speaks to some of the, the movement there. But then you, you factor in, you bring in all these young guys that are talented. And there's a lot of you know, freshmen from last year that red-shirted that, that are on the roster. You bring in the two grad transfers. Jared Cohen comes back as a walk-on. So there's a lot of pieces in play there. Um, and so I think what – Cap probably his biggest challenge is going to be figuring out early in camp, of, okay, who am I going to play where? Because uh, you know William Sweet's a guy that's ready to go, right? Uh, do you put him at right tackle? Or do you put him at left tackle? And do you move Bentley inside? You know, Bentley never played inside in high school, so it's kind of a new position to him. Uh, but when I talked to him in Charlotte, he said, yeah, I'll do whatever we have to do, you know. What, however, I can help the team. I'm game for. And there's so many pieces that they have in place, and there's so many young guys. I mean, you it, it wasn't that long ago that if North Carolina brought in a four-star kid like a Calvin Darity, for example, uh, who was you thought to be all-world. He was playing early, uh, but now you got guys like Jonah Mountain, JJ McCargo, uh, who likely are not going to have to play, even though they come in with you, know, you know, high recruiting rankings and Everybody in the world wanted them, And so that speaks volumes about what Cap has done. But now he's got to figure out how to put all these pieces together. So uh, once he gets that settled, I think there's going to be enough guys there to do as you said and really provide some, some protection for Brandon Harris and to really help with the run game. And that's something Bentley said. He said, look, regardless of how the passing game is, we have enough talent and experience up front that we should be able to run the ball effectively. Now, we may not know who that running back is, uh, but we've got the pieces in place up front to really help there. And that's one thing, Tommy. So many times in recent years we've talked about there being issues along the offensive line and the defensive line, and this year we're not going to have those conversations.
0: Yeah, Let me ask you a question. Looking at the offensive line roster, you have Prince and Spain that are seniors, you have Rodgers and Dillard that are grad transfers, And then you pretty much have, what, eight or nine freshmen or redshirt freshmen and a couple sophomores. I mean, the junior class is just non-existent. So does that do anything differently to Kapilifik and Fedora's plan here? Ideally, you want upperclassmen, seniors across the front um, to play the majority of snaps. But these young guys, you know, McCargo, Pritchett, Jonah Melton even, you know, those guys are going to have to play to get experience because – Next season, that 2018 season that we're talking about, uh, they're going to play a lot at that point. So where's the mix there, do you think, for this staff?
1: I think that's a great question. And what Kabilovic has said time and time again over the years is, at a bare minimum, he wants eight guys ready to go. He wants a backup center, a backup tackle that can play either position. John Franto did that a lot over the years. And then somebody on the interior that can play either left or right guard. And Tommy Hatton was able to do that a little bit last year before Peterson got hurt. Uh, and so I, I think you definitely will have at least eight, but I very easily could see if guys are in playing time uh, as many as 10. And you may, you may, know, obviously you're not going to rotate full fives, uh, but maybe against some some lesser opponents. Maybe if you get a big lead on Old Dominion, you can do that. Same with Western Carolina and some of these other games that maybe get out of hand. Uh, so I do think a lot of those guys are going to have to play. Uh Melton's. I think it's a great uh, topic because you're at the point where you don't necessarily have to play young guys if you don't want to. You know, if you want a red shirt, i go ahead and do it. But if he's you, know, maybe not a starter, but he's a backup, you go ahead and play him, saying, "Okay, well he's offensive of lineman. There's a chance he may get hurt, so he may need that red shirt year later." Um, that's kind of a an interesting question to ask, and I'll, I'll follow up with Cap about that kind of. When he's got this many guys and he can pick and choose, you know, what's his preference there? But but definitely you know, like the some of the other positions. It's gonna be interesting how it plays out. But the key point here is that they have a ton of options, and it's not saying hey, this guy's a young talented freshman. He's got to play out of necessity, not because we just wanted him to.
0: Yeah, they won't have a situation. Uh, Mike Ingersoll talked about, and Chaco's talked about, where a young guy named Garrett Reynolds, who turned out to be pretty good, was playing against all Americans as an 18-year-old, and, and it didn't go well. Even though it at turned, 250 pounds, yeah. yeah, and it didn't go well then, but it turned out pretty well for Reynolds later on. Greg, we're gonna just keep it on the offense on on this podcast. We'll have a defensive podcast here shortly, but your take. Own Carolina's place by the media pick? Is it because of the offense, or is it just in total? I think for, for me, seeing them picked down, and I think that's good for Carolina to be picked down low in the Coastal, I think it's got to be purely from an offensive standpoint. The the losses, the number of loss, I mean it's 90-some you know, percent of the production's gone. I mean, is that it, or is it just that? You know, the media folks that voted didn't take the time to look at what actually is coming back. They just looked at what's leaving.
1: Yeah, I think it's a little bit of everything. Um, for sure, the offense is the biggest part of it. The other thing is is that defensively, North Carolina um, has kind of been a team that has relied heavily on the offense. And so the defense has kind of been a secondary-type deal the last couple years. I mean, we know the disaster was 2014. Uh, In 2015, 2016 were very similar, except 2015 uh, was more opportunistic in terms of keeping teams out of the end zone, and that's one of the reasons North Carolina went 8-0 in the Coastal and get to the ACC championship game. Uh, The other thing, I think, is that North Carolina, uh, while they were picked to win the Coastal last year, they really struggled once a few injuries kicked in last year. And so they lose their last three games against FBS opponents um, you know, losing games against Duke and NC State and both struggled in ACC play. Uh, so I think a lot of different things kind of come into play. And I think the other part of it, is, too, is you. Know, w- we had the belief on this podcast, uh, you and me and Buck talked about this quite a bit, that there was never any concern that a Larry Fedora offense would take a step back. But then 2014 came along, um, and there was enough kind of defections and and losses on that side of the ball, where Marquise had to do everything. And they had to run a ton of plays to make the numbers look good. And that's the least efficient offense of the Larry Fedora coaching era, Um, not just at North Carolina, but also Southern Miss. And so after that year, we kind of said, okay, well, maybe that's not true. Maybe this offense can be average instead of being elite all the time. And then when you factor in, that not only are you looking at a new quarterback, you're looking at an entirely new uh, backfield, basically entirely new wide receivers other than Austin Pro, and a few other kind of you know, uh, role players. And so a lot of things have to come together quickly, and a lot of players have to step up not just at one position but at multiple positions. And so I think there's legitimate concern. Now, Fedora has confidence in his system, um, and it was interesting hearing him at the ACC kickoff saying, you know what, the offense is proven. It's been in different conferences, it's been different years, uh, all these types of things. We've had success with it. So basically it's a matter of these guys getting into the offense and just not making mistakes. And if we can get them to not make mistakes, the offense is going to generate points. Um, so that obviously puts pressure on the guys, but that's that's kind of how the game is played. Uh, so I, I think it's just a lot of hesitancy in terms of saying, okay, how quickly can North Carolina figure things out offensively? And that's where there's a lot, of, a lot of caution. The other part of it is a lot of people are not sold on Brandon Harris. I talked to a few guys that covered some SEC games last couple of years. Uh, they were not impressed with what Harris did. And like, you know, you've got, a, you've got a very good defense at LSU – uh, you got an incredible running back, probably the best guy in the nation, Fournette. So basically, your job is not just making mistakes. And you know, they were they were okay, they weren't great. And so not, a lot of people are just not completely sold on Harris. Whereas if you look at the IC message boards, you said, hey, well, he's in a brand new system, so everything's going to be much better. Maybe that's the case, but maybe that's an optimistic look um, of saying, okay, well, maybe. He's going to be as good as we hope he can be. And maybe he is. But I think that's where some of the the doubt comes in with the the media. And then the other part, of course, is that the Coastal Division, year in and year out last couple years, has just been up in the air. And so it's it's kind of tough to judge exactly where you want to put teams because a lot of them are so similar that when you're talking, hey, this team's fourth, this team's fifth, well, that may just be because Pitt doesn't have to play Florida State, Clemson, and and Louisville, they dodged those teams this year. Maybe that's the reason. So, a lot of a lot of things go into it, but clearly offense is the kind of the number one culprit.
0: It'd be interesting to see how Fedora and his staff deal with that. Um, I'm not sold on anything. I've been too optimistic in the past and gotten burned by uh, predictions on this podcast. And so, uh, I'll just wait and see. But I think we'll learn a lot if not Cal, if not Old Dominion, certainly they'll learn a plenty when Louisville comes calling and even Duke. So, Yeah, I think – and I agree
1: with you. I don't think it's necessarily Louisville. Um, I think if North Carolina wins that game, it'll be a huge upset. But I think the Duke and Georgia Tech games at the end of September, I think we'll know an incredible amount about this team when they come back from, from Atlanta uh, as we had in October.
0: Yep, good stuff, Greg. We'll talk more about the defense on our next show, but that'll do it for this edition of Inside Carolina Radio. Greg, always a pleasure. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to Inside Carolina Radio, brought to you by t-shirtcom where Inside Carolina members get 10% off their everyday online orders. We'll talk to you again soon.